0: people have value intrinsically irregardless now people do things crimes that they should be punished for but their lives have value and we take it for granted and every time i see these uh on facebook about some black dude getting shot by a cop or whatever. There's always like a discussion and, and arguments back and forth. And everything's trivialized in America. Nobody has serious political discussions. Everything goes out the window. But, but everybody, nobody stops and reflects the fact that somebody just got killed. Someone's life was taken. For what reason, we don't know. Oh, he was, he was doing something like driving without a license and the cop stopped. Okay, I don't care. His life was taken. That he murdered somebody. This is the things that happen when the the value of human life is tossed out the window, because the only thing that would give value to human life is a biblical understanding of man, which is found in scripture. And the world is not going to know the scripture unless they're taught the scripture. And if the church doesn't teach the scripture, then the world is not going to know it. And we revert back to savagery, basically.
1: Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 5th, 2018. Today brother Omar brings us a message called statement of faith doctrine of man Today brother Omar reminds us that God's word says that we are all created equal and created in the image of God Brother Omar says that our job as a church and as Christians is to inform others of what God's word says about equality And how we as humans are all made in his image Brother Omar says that when we step outside of what the Bible says about how God made us in his image, we turn into uncivilized individuals and we don't value the lives of each other. Now he'll be reading from the book of Genesis. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way.
0: We are continuing our continuing, continuing series on our statement of faith, but we're moving on. This week to the Doctrine of Man. We've been through 11 sermons of the Doctrine of God, four sermons in the Doctrine of the Scriptures, and we begin our first sermon on the Doctrine of Man. Our statement of faith says this, that God in His infinite wisdom and goodness created man in His image to be in relationship with Him and that man out of his own free will rebelled against God and fell into a state of sin, that not only Adam, but all of his progeny after him. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the issue of man. What is man? Who is man? What is he supposed to do? What is his purpose, etc. So if you ever read, if you ever take the time to read a systematic theology, it's a very, very non-entertaining, drawn, long, drawn out process. You will find there's always a section that talks about man. Now, fancy word number one is, this is called anthropology. The word anthropos means human, and the word logy means the study of. So anthropology is simply the study of man, and it deals with different characteristics of who man is, what is his purpose, etc. So we, were, we will begin today our sermon on who we are, where do we come from as a people and as a race, who we are, human beings. Now, as always, all societies and all peoples have a story of where they come from, right? There's different uh, creation stories. Everybody looks to their origins. And even secular man has his own story in our day, right? We evolved from Monkeys or whatever and through a process of natural selection and that's how we became man So that's an origin story That's a religion actually It's it's, it's a story about our origin So because we believe that the Word of God is what? Inspired It's perfect, right? It doesn't have any errors, it doesn't have any mistakes, right? There's a word that we use for that, what was the word? Inerrant, thank you It's inerrant and because it's inerrant it therefore is true, and if it's true, when it speaks, it has what? It has authority. When it says something, what it says is right, and therefore that's what it is. Take it or leave it, right? So we're going to look to God's Word to find out about our history as human beings and who we are, what are our attributes, so we will begin with God's Word. Now, as I was saying, that you will find numerous and different stories about the origin of man but we have god's word and as believers we look to the word of god to look for the answers to this question so we'll begin at the beginning genesis chapter 1 verse 26 it's a famous passage of scripture genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this and so god created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You're going to see a couple of things when you look at this text is that man is a unique creation. If you look at the narrative from Genesis up, on, up until that point, you will see, for example, when God creates other things, he just speaks them into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. You know, let the water separate, and let the land appear, and let the birds fly in the sky, and this and that. But when it comes to man, we see something that is called divine counsel. There's almost like a meeting that's happening. And within the Godhead of God, within the Trinity, there's a conversation that took place. It's like, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And if you read in chapter 2 the detail of the account, you will see that God takes his hands and he forms man out of the dust of the ground and then he breathes into him breath of life and man becomes a living soul that is a unique narrative you don't find that with any other creature that God makes God actually took his time to form however that happened we don't know how that happened but he forms man and then he breathes into him the breath of life into his nostril and man becomes a living soul this is a unique being So this is the crown of this creation. God saved the best for last. Also, man is the only creature of which is said that is made in the image of God and in his likeness. None of the other beings, none of the other creatures that so far or even after is said to have the image of God, to be a bearer of God's image. Not even angels are said to have or to be made in the image of God. So we see right off the back that man or human beings, are created in God's image. Also, if you look at the narrative in Genesis chapter two verse seven, it says this: "Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of light, and man became a living being." Some translations say soul." Some translations say creature. The true translation should be soul. Man becomes a living soul. So there's two things I want you to notice here. Number one, man is a unique union of material, physical, right? He was, he was made from the dust of the ground. It was, that's matter. But then man is also made out of the breath that God breathed into his nostrils. So man has a connection to the material world through his body, but he also uniquely has a connection to the higher world because when God breathed into his nostril, he gave him a spirit. So man is a union of spirit and matter. That's a unique thing that man has. One of the, um, I got a quote here from William B. Pope. He was an old Methodist theologian, he wrote in his Compendium of Christian Theology, he wrote this, The high distinction of human nature is that in its constitution is a union of the two worlds of spirit and matter, a reflection of spiritual intelligences in the material creation. The immaterial principle is the soul, or the psyche, as connected with matter through the body, and the spirit, or pneuma, as connected with the higher world. This 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 is a unique being that God has just made so man is a creature not only are we the crown of God's creation he saved the best for last but this is a higher being than the other beings that were created and we know that because they were given a role that is different in Genesis 1.26, it says, "It Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. In other words, this is the ruling guy here. This is the guy who's going to be in charge of all the things that I've made. So I gave him all that he's going to need to be in charge of all of this creation. I made him the ruler. I made him the ruling being. So this is the ruling creature, he has responsibilities over all of the earth, and he bears and reflects the image of God. Furthermore, this is important, this is the important part. The image of God is intrinsic to human nature. In other words, it is a natural attribute of humanity. It is who we are as human beings. Eventually, what is a human being You track it down, you're going to boil it all the way back to he is an image bearer of God. That's what a human being is. Back to William Pope, he says this, he says, The image of God is made the first note and attribute of human nature. The first revealed truth concerning our race declares the peculiarity of man as a new thing in creation to be this, that he should bear in himself the likeness of his creator. It was the divine purpose that this should be his distinction from every other creature. Hence, this image must belong to his inmost creaturely constitution. In other words, it is, it is what defines him as a being. Therefore, he says, it is indestructible. The self-conscious and self-determining personality of man, as a spirit bearing the stamp of likeness of God and capable of immortality, was the reflection in the creature of the divine nature. While all creatures up to man reflect the perfections of their creator, it is man's distinction made emphatic in the act of his creation that he alone bears his image. This, therefore, is the ground of his dignity. And while that dignity belongs to his nature as a whole, it is necessarily found in the part of nature which is not material and therefore imperishable. What that means is it cannot be removed from man. All men have or are bearers, or are made in the image of God. You cannot change that. You cannot take that away from Him. You can ignore that, but that's part of who He is as a being. It's intrinsic to His nature, and therefore is imperishable, even after sin. So, the question is, to whom does this this pertain? It pertains to man, to human beings. So if you're a person and you can track down your bloodline to Adam, then you are made in the image of God and you're made in his likeness. The Apostle Paul's Acts 17 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined there are a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God, out of one man, made all the nations of man, all of them, in His image. And if this verse is true, and it is, then all men, whether male or female, black or white, young and old, rich or poor, born or unborn, all men, no matter their habitation, their mental capacities, all men are created and bear the image of God, And in such, they have intrinsic dignity and sanctity to their life, all human life. This idea is found in the Scriptures alone. This is Bible teaching alone. You don't find find this anywhere. Now, we live in a society where everybody believes in anything. If you ask the average Joe on the street if he believes this, he'll probably say, yeah. But it's because they're borrowing from a Christian worldview. If the world would not have had Christian preaching, this would not have been believed by anybody. And even with the Bible, look at how human beings treat each other. So this idea is an outwork of the Bible and the Christian faith Alone. You're not finding this anywhere else. And in fact, even in our day, if you don't have anything to do and like to read stuff that is weird, if you read white nationalist literature, white supremacist literature, which I have, because I have nothing to do, you will find that they hate this doctrine. It's one of the reasons they hate the Bible. They, they, they do a better job of preaching this in some cases than we do. And the reason they hate Christianity is because Christianity has this notion that all men are created equal. That's clearly not the case, right? The European peoples, that's evidently the superior peoples, according to them. So the idea that that somebody from, I don't know, Asia or somebody from Africa is an image bearer of God and created in God's image, It has a spirit that came from God, that God invested some of himself in this human being that is from half a way across the world who lives in poverty and would not be educated. That's insane. It goes against nature, they say. So this doctrine, even in in our day, even in our day, this is a radical teaching. One of the... uh, darkest times in American history or even in Western history in general was the so-called progressive era. This is 1800s leading up to the mid-20th century. this is when the theory of evolution started to gain ground in the United States and in Britain, etc. It started being taught in universities by professors and became accepted. And with the theory of evolution came other quote-unquote, sciences that today are understood to be pseudosciences, but at the time, they were mainstream stuff. This is stuff that everybody believed, and one of which which was something called eugenics. And the way that eugenics works is that, um, you know, evolution came about through a process of natural selection, so each species had the fittest of each species, was carried on to the next, face of evolution and the ones who are not fit, weak or whatever where they died out, they were weeded out. You know, only the strong survive that type of thing. Well, if man is the product of that process then we can advance that if we just weed out those people that we deem unfit. You just weed them out and the stronger better people would carry on to the next phase, and humanity would achieve a greater phase, or something like that. That was accepted science. Now, the sanctity of human life, of course, goes out the window. And if you look at Nazi Germany and the way that they treated the Jews, what they were trying to do is they were trying to weed out what they understood what the lesser peoples and then the superior race was carried over and et cetera. Now that was done very violently, right? They were arresting people, they were tossing them in concentration camps, etc. But there was another way of doing eugenics. You might not have heard of it because it was practiced here in the United States. It was a more gentle way. It was a more nicer way to do eugenics. And this was done through limiting the birth rate of people that were undesirable and unfit through birth control and abortion. So, a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger organized uh, a clinic called the American Birth Control League. right? And what she was trying to do is that when you look at society, you look at the people who are undesirable, who maybe do not perform good in school, who maybe don't live in nice houses in Connecticut, they might live in poorer places, etc. Those people have children, those children are stuck in the same cycle, whatever. So these people are becoming a burden in society and are weighing us down, right? That makes sense if you buy into the original idea of evolution, right? So these people are weighing us down if we cut them off gently, very nicely, we don't want to kill them but if we stop them from reproducing, we can carry on the human race onto the next phase. So she was very critical, of, for example, of charity. We talked about what we do over there in in last week. Well, she was against that because, and this is a quote, she says, organized charity itself is a symptom of a malignant social disease. Those vast, complex organizations aiming to diminish the spread of misery and destitution and all the evils that spring of this fertile soil are the surest sign that our civilization has bred, is breeding, and perpetuating, constantly increasing numbers of defectives, delinquents, and dependents. You're making people dependent. You don't want them to get stuck in that same cycle. So we need to stop charity because if they die off, or they stop reproducing and we can move on forward to the next phase of our civilization. She said in an interview, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents. They have no chance to be a human being practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That to me is the greatest sin that people can commit. So the United States government carried out a sterilization program for people who were deemed mentally retarded, Low IQ, so they would not reproduce. This happened in this country, the 1920s, 1920s. This is what happens. This is an example that I'm giving you. When you do not believe and practice the idea that human beings are made in the image of God. Because delinquents, undesirable, so-called unfit people. I don't know whose standards, by the way, do we consider these people lesser. All of those people are made in the image of God. They bear his likeness. And therefore, as such, God himself has invested some of himself in their lives by the fact that they're alive. And you see how hideous it is to think of people lesser than us for some arbitrary reason because maybe they don't dress the way or they don't talk proper English or whatever it is. So this is a doctrine that even in our day, because image bearers of God sometimes are inside of a womb and they haven't been born yet. And look at what happens in this country with abortion. Sixty million people have been killed since Roe v. Wade. Sixty million. Sixty million children aborted. Sixty million I don't think the Soviet Union at its peak got rid of as many people. That is a European country. The population of Spain is like 58 million people since Roe v. Wade. Image bearers of God, made in his likeness. So, back to the history of the early 20th century. The idea that man has intrinsic value or an innate dignity was tossed out the window and man must prove himself to be human by some arbitrary made up standard. One of the things that Margaret Sanger did is that she decided to open these clinics on these neighborhoods that she deemed people were unfit. So she opened one in New York City and you can take a guess which neighborhood in New York City she opened her clinic. Obviously it's Harlem. So she did a lot of work in Harlem but she ran into a problem. The problem that she ran into is that in that time, black people were, according to her, too religious. And then black people bought into this notion that, I don't know, people were made in the image of God and they were equal and all that stuff. So she had to employ black leaders to convince black, regular black folk at that time to sort of buy into her ideas of birth control and abortion. So one of the men that she employed was W.E.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois, however you pronounce that, depending where you're from. He was a black intellectual back in those days, intelligent man. Here's what he wrote. I got this from an article from 1932. This is an article that he wrote. He says this. On the other hand, the mass of ignorant Negroes still breed carelessly and disastrously so that the increase among Negroes even more than the increase among whites is from that part of the population least intelligent and fit and least able to rear children properly. There comes, therefore, the difficult and insistent problem of spreading among Negroes an intelligent and clearly recognized concept of birth control so that the young people can marry and have companionship and natural health and yet not have children until they're able to take care of them. This, of course, requires In the first place, a revision of general law. He wants some sort of legislation, I'm guessing. And in the second place, it calls for a more liberal attitude among Negro churches. The churches are open, for the most part, for intelligent propaganda of any sort, and the American Birth Control League and other agencies ought to get their speakers before church congregations and their arguments in the Negro newspapers. Even intelligent colored people have a good... Many misapprehensions and good deal of fear at openly learning about it. Moreover, they are led away by the fallacy of numbers. They want the black race to survive. They are cheered by a census return of increasing numbers. They must learn that among races and groups, as it is among vegetables, quality and not mere quantity counts. That's Written in 1932, your grandfathers were alive back then. That's how. That's how short the distance is. So, like vegetables, it is quality and not quantity that counts. See what these people never understand, obviously, because they don't they deny God, is that people's behaviors and undesired behaviors are fixed only by the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, there's nobody who's undesirable, because God has invested His grace and humanity to save them from those activities. But they don't understand that, because this is human philosophy. This is all that human philosophy can give you, unless it borrows from a Christian worldview. Human philosophy is always going to leave you to this, violent death and murder of people. Because men, if they're created in the image of God, they have intrinsic value to their lives. Now, this is not in some far distant history. This is 19th, 20th century, all the way up to the 50s and 60s. Margaret Sanger founded the American Birth Control League, which later on became Planned Parenthood. 60 million image bearers of God have been killed in this country since abortion was legalized. Why? Because they're not considered human. At least that was the argument. Science has proven that life does begin at conception. So now the argument has changed to, you know, there might be an inconvenience to your life. They might not be desirable to have them if you're 20 or 21 years old. You're not ready to rear children. That's the excuse now. Children with Down syndrome in the United States have been reduced by 70% and in places like Iceland, they have been reduced by 100%. There's no children born with Down syndrome in Iceland. And the reason is, you would think they found a cure, no. Pregnant women can take a test today that tells them if their baby has an extra chromosome and that it will be born with Down syndrome. So many people are opting for abortion rather than bring them into the world. Once the Bible goes out the window and doctrine doesn't matter, this is what happens. Image bearers of God. They're born with a mental incapacity, therefore they're not fully human, we think. Moses, well, this is I found this passage of scripture last night in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. God is telling Moses to go out to, you know, to Egypt and speak with Pharaoh. Moses comes up with a justification. He says, like, I can't talk. I have a speech problem. So God, this is a conversation. God gives him an answer. But here's the conversation. Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and and out of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made the mouth of man? Who makes him mute? Who makes the deaf? Who makes the seen? Who makes the blind? It is not I, the Lord? There's no such thing as people with mental incapacities. They're image bearers of God. Simple as that. Leviticus chapter 19 says, You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. But when you, when you don't believe what the Bible teaches, and when we as a church do not emphasize what the Bible teaches, society reverts back to being savages and murder, and the cut off of human life goes out the window. During the days of the Roman Empire, life had no value. People would get killed for whatever reason. If you looked at the emperor wrong, you would get killed. There was no value to human life until the gospel and the early church, through many years of suffering, changed Roman culture. And Europe went from being some savage tribe mess into being a civilized society where life was respected. Why? Because of the Bible and the preaching of God's word. Well, the same people, same European people, have tossed the Bible out the window and they're slowly reverting back. And the same thing is going to happen in this country. Life is becoming less valuable in society because people are not believing what the Bible says about humanity, that we're created in the image of God. So that shows you how doctrine it's not stuff that gets stuck in the air somewhere. Doctrine has bearing upon real life. Amen. As simple as that. People have value intrinsically, irregardless. Now, people do things, crimes that they should be punished for, but their lives have value. And we take it for granted. You know, every time I see these. Uh, on Facebook about some black dude getting shot by a cop or whatever, there's always like a discussion and, and arguments back and forth. And everything's trivialized in America. Nobody has serious political discussions. Everything goes out the window. But but everybody nobody stops and reflects the fact that somebody just got killed. Someone's life was taken. For what reason? We don't know. Oh, he was, he was doing something like driving without a license and the cop stopped. Okay, I don't care. His life was taken. Did he murder somebody? See, it's, this is the things that happen when the, the value of human life is tossed out the window because the only thing that would give value to human life is a biblical understanding of man, which is found in Scripture. And the world is not going to know the Scripture unless they're taught the Scripture. And if the church doesn't teach the scripture, then the world is not going to know it. And we revert back to savagery, basically. So, the doctrine of man begins with the imago Dei, that we're created in God's image. That's who we are. That's our first attribute. We're created in the image of God. And that reality applies to all human beings. All human beings, whatever they're found, even after the fall And this is central to the Christian worldview and the duty of the church to promote it. This is why Christ came down and took on flesh. This is why God invested himself in redeeming from man the image that he put in him. God is invested in this world. He's invested in humanity. Because you see what happens when we do not. Roman culture, in the times of the early church, had no respect for human life. Foreigners were treated like animals, people were killed left and right for all sorts of arbitrary reasons that had nothing to do with ethics or judgment. But the Christian faith transformed Europe into a civilized society where men and women have intrinsic rights and life and law is respected or was respected. Now, I know I've spoken a lot about political issues. Most of the time, has been political issues. But I want you to understand that something as simple as believing in that men are, all men are equal and created in God's image has so much bearing in our real life politically, in our everyday life. And even in ministry. And when we go out to feed homeless people, understand that those people are image bearers of God, just as you are because you might be in a higher plane in society or whatever, you may have a house or whatever. Those are image bearers of God when you go out there. When you go on mission trips to places like Guatemala or Africa or whatever, the people live in poverty. Those are image bearers of God. They have equal value to you. Also, God made them in his image. Male and female created them in His image. Men and women are both equal in their bearing of the image of God also. So our treatment of women, our treatment of other people, our treatment of foreigners, and the policies that we support should always have in mind the idea that people, all people are created in the image of God and they bear His likeness. Simple idea from the scriptures changed the world. This is idea, This is the idea behind America: all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights—life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A biblical concept. Thomas Jefferson wrote that not necessarily because he believed it, but because that was the cultural pressure that he had at the time. And even the critics of Christianity say, well, you guys say that you believe that, but what about slavery and all the things that the church, the, you know, the complicity of the church in slavery? That's true. That's true. But the worldview that those slave masters had is eventually what abolished slavery. The slave masters who were Christians, many of them, who tried to defend slavery, we teaching the Bible, whose worldview eventually abolished slavery. They were cutting off the branch they were trying to sit on. So slavery was Christians disobeying the Bible, not Christians living up to the Bible. Because if they were living up to the Bible, those Africans that were brought over here would have had rights. And they could have bought off their freedom, etc., because they were image-bearers of God. This is a Christian teaching that has bearing in real life today. And our job as a church and as Christian is to promote it in every conversation that you have on Facebook about anything that has to do with any human being that should be in the back of your head. He's created in the image of God, and He bears His likeness at all times. This is who we are as humans. This is our first attribute is that we are made in God's image. I um one of the things that I was I've been thinking about about you know racism and things like discrimination typically flow from white to colors colored people, right? But in reality, color people can be equally you know Hispanics and black people can be equally Discriminating and prejudiced against other people. And we have to be careful as a church because we don't have white people here. It's not on purpose. <laughs> it's not on purpose. Well, except for Kelly. Um, <laughs> it's not on purpose. She's a Spaniard. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Did you th- see? I say the things you guys are thinking, but don't want to say. By the way,
1: by the way,
0: the, whoever's listening to this on the podcast, is gonna be like, who is Kelly? Yeah. A <laughs> who is this Kelly lady? She should preach. Uh, but anyways. Um, I have found myself in the past even speaking in that way. Oh, those are white people, right? That's how white people do. That's racist because they're like me, right? They're image bearers of God. They have fears. They have uh, uh, worries as everybody else. They, they're ignorant as everybody else is. So as Christians, increasingly so, who are people of color, we have to be careful, you know? Because we assume things. You know, I, re- I remember being in a McDonald's one time and, and there was a lady there. She got angry at this guy who was ordering. This guy was Puerto Rican. So he turns to like, this lady's racist. No, maybe she just hates her life because she has a bad job. I don't know. <coughs> Maybe she has three kids, and she's crazy, and she gets paid minimum wage. I don't know. She doesn't have to be racist just because she didn't treat you the perfect way that you expect to be treated as some king who came to McDonald's. Maybe she's just having a bad day. She's created in the image of God, and she bears His likeness, just as we do. So, as Christians, these doctrines need to be something that we can put into practice and live out in the real world even in those little instances and situations in our lives because it's really easy to fall back into you know the heathen ways of the world and we can be just as, as evil to consider people as vegetables look at their quality rather than quantity so i pray that we as a church and we know the, that, that we're a church who tries to be biblical in everything that we do, is that when it comes to relating to human beings as we start um, interacting with more people out in the world, we always keep this in mind because it's a very important doctrine. The first and foremost, as human beings, this is the first thing that we're told in the Bible. We are created in God's image and we bear His likeness let's pray heavenly father we thank you lord for your word i thank you lord that your scripture speaks so plainly and so simply lord but the truths are so profound lord and have so many repercussions in the world in which we live lord i thank you for those men and women of god that in the past fought and taught your word and taught your truth lord even to the betterment of society lord i thank you lord that even in this society, um, as is, it still has vestiges of your truth, Lord. But we pray that as a church that we may be able, as long as we live here, to hold your truth and to push back against the wave, Lord, of, of secular thought or human thought that may try to do away with what your word teaches, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation. I thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTWchurch. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTWchurch. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's Word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.